All right, so we are on our last point of Unit 2. Unit 2 is biblical pictures of provision from slavery to kingdom. And we have made our way all the way up to kingdom. Kingdom is Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Jesus has come and every cause of lack has been removed. It has been obliterated. The curse has been destroyed and demolished when we place our faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. We can live in like a supernatural type of promised land or Eden-like existence because the the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from everything that causes the curse, the lack, and all of the other things that we've seen through these biblical pictures of provision are the ways of this world. We've been redeemed out of that, and the causes of lack or lack of prosperity have been removed because of the blood of Jesus, not because of our obedience. I touched on this when we were talking about the promised land, and God said, if you obey me, then I will bless you. Well, guess what? Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law. So he is the one that obeyed all of the requirements of God. And for that, Jesus is entitled to all of the blessings of God. So those passages from Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, all of the things that God said, if you obey me, I will bless, 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 bless you. Jesus deserves and merited all of those bless, bless, blessings, okay? But God is so good and Jesus is so good that he doesn't hoard all of those blessings for himself. He shares them with us when we place our faith in him and what he did for us. So let's take a look at a few scriptures that make this clear, that Jesus, through his sacrifice, his perfect life, his fulfillment of the law of God, his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, that he died on a cross fulfilling the death penalty, and then God raised him from the dead. That was God's way of saying, yes, you fulfilled the law and death has no hold on you because even eternal life is part of the blessing of the law of God. Deuteronomy 6.25, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, that will be your righteousness. But also there are other scriptures that say, do these commandments and you will live. You will live. Eternal life is the reward of obedience and of righteousness. Hallelujah. So Jesus attained that for us by his perfect obedience, but we receive the benefits of that by our faith, by putting our faith in Jesus. So 
Romans 3, starting with verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you, that means me, that means all, everyone has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one, no one, no one except Jesus has earned or will ever possibly be able to earn all of the blessings in the law of God, because no one has ever been able to keep the standard of God, to keep the law of God perfectly, and even more so to the depths of the heart. But I hate when people talk about that verse and just leave it off there, because that doesn't end with a period. It ends with a comma. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, and are justified, woohoo, justified by his grace as a gift. Uh, as a as a punishment, as a, something that is purchased, you go to the store and you get some justification. No, as a free gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, comma, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's a really big word. It means payment for atonement. So when we were talking about the laws of God that had to be observed and all those offerings that had to be brought to the Lord, there were offerings in there for sin, for guilt, to bring atonement. The atonement is in the blood. So propitiation is a big fancy way of saying atonement, a payment for atonement to cleanse us of our sin. But we don't receive this atonement by bringing a sheep or a goat or a bull. We receive this atonement by faith. So God put Jesus forward. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He shed his blood for the atonement of our sins. And it says to be received by faith. We receive it by faith. Hallelujah. So we are so thankful for that. Um, the scripture also says, 1 John 1, verse 6 to 7, we, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. Hallelujah. So Jesus, he shed his blood for the sins of the whole world. By our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. And what happens when sin is forgiven? If Adam and Eve had never sinned, then mankind would still be living in Eden. If Cain had not sinned and then perpetuated his sin, then he wouldn't, the ground would be producing for him, right? So when sin is forgiven in the promised land picture, if there's no sin, then God is abounding in blessings. The rain is coming to water the crops. The ground is tender and good and 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 full of vitamins and producing vegetation everywhere, right? We, we understood from the promised land picture that it's all about sin and repentance. But with Jesus, we've entered into the kingdom, not just the promised land, but the eternal 
kingdom. And because Jesus paid for the price for the forgiveness of all of our sins, all causes of lack, lack of provision have been removed. We are no longer under the curse. We are under the blessing because of the righteousness of Jesus. Colossians 1 says that we were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And I'm reminded also, we painted the picture. We went from Nimrod building the tower, you know, gathering all of the people and all world resources, using violent violence and wearing animal prints to show his dominance over people. And then out of the scattering of all the peoples all over the face of the earth, that all these people hopeless without God, God redeemed Abraham. God called Abraham. Well, that is an Old Testament picture of what God does with us. Out of the chaos and violence and disorder and self-exaltation of this world, God calls us to redeem us, to make us his own, to be our God, to be God to us. The creator of heaven and earth wants to enter into relationship with us. And the way that he has made for that to happen is through our faith in Jesus Christ. So in this new covenant kingdom picture of provision, all things, all things are provided by God freely as a free gift by the grace of God. And the purpose of it is for his glory. So are you starting to see why we looked at the promised land the way that we examined it? The purpose of the promised land was to show off God and his goodness to the rest of the world. It was not for self-exaltation. It was not for personal luxury. It was not for you to look like you're awesome. It's for you to make God look awesome. And that also happens by spreading and sharing his blessings with the rest of the world. But in this, so in the new covenant, it's almost like a supernaturally empowered promised land. So your life, my life, we are like a walking, talking. The scripture does call us the temple of God, but because we are the dwelling place of God, our sins have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of us. Well, where on earth does God dwell? God dwells in a temple. His presence is in the temple. Well, we, my body, your body, the collective body of Christ, we are that temple. We are also like walking, talking Garden of Eden, right? So wherever I go, God provides for me, even in the most impossible looking scenarios. Why? Because he's God and he's able to do that. And my sins have been forgiven. So anything I might have done, which could have blocked the provision of God in my life, Jesus atoned for that. And so I'm walking around as a daughter of the Most High God, maker 
maker of heaven and earth, and he supernaturally provides for my needs wherever I go. It's like being restored to Eden because God is just that good. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm rich. Don't get me wrong. That's not my focus. My focus is whenever I'm doing the will of God, I know that I will not have lack. God will make sure that I have everything I need for doing His will and for displaying His glory and His goodness to the rest of the world. So we touched on this verse before. From Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he, meaning God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Some things? A few things? No, all things things. He gives us all things. John 15, I love this passage. It This is Jesus speaking. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask a few things that you want. No, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, the secret of this passage is that when you abide in Jesus, when you're really abiding in Jesus, and his word is really abiding in you, you stop asking for stupid stuff. You stop asking for stuff that's outside of the will of God. You start asking for the things that God already wants you to have. And so we know that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us and we already have what we ask. That's a passage from 1 John. But this is John 15 about abiding. The more that we allow God to renew our mind and bring us into his way of doing things, we can ask whatever we wish, and it will be done for us. But verse 8, why is it done for us? Because Jesus said, by this, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, if you're thinking that having a really gigantic house is what it means, what Jesus means about glorifying God and bearing fruit, then you're not abiding in Jesus yet. You you don't get what it's really all about yet. You're, if you're asking for that, then you're asking amiss for your own selfish desires. And James has something to say about that. But anyway, we've covered that enough. The gospel also, the good news, that's what the gospel means. Gospel means good news. The good news is not good news, I can help you get a job. Good news, I can help you be a better slave working in the system of this world. No, it's good news to the poor. The good news is that God has had mercy on you and forgiven your sin. So sometimes, you know, we go at it with a social justice gospel, and it's not a social justice gospel. It's good news of God that the forgiveness of sins might be proclaimed throughout the whole world. It, it, it Just be clear about what the gospel is. The gospel is about the mercy of God. But within, tucked within the mercy of God, is that once your sins are forgiven, all of the causes of lack have also been removed. God has mercy on you, so he's no longer holding your offenses against you. So you hear some ministries sometimes, they say, well, it's not about a handout, it's about a hand up. Well, 
I'm not so sure about that because we're supposed to be open-handed to the poor, and that means sometimes give them a handout. Give them a handout. If you, Jesus said, do unto others as you want done unto you. If you were in that position, wouldn't you just, come on, every once in a while, want someone to just give you a free gift that you weren't just trying to say, hey, let me teach you how to not be in this position anymore. Let me impose my will on you. Let me teach you, you know, how to do this right. And then when you're not doing it according to the way I want you to, then I'm going to dump you and forget all about you. No, it, it, you know, it's the hand up thing is not a Exactly. Jesus didn't come down to earth and say, you know what? I'm going to give him a hand up. No, Jesus came and he paid the full price and he gives it away as a handout. He gives it away as a handout, as a free gift to anyone who will believe in him. So, yeah, I know it's not about a handout. It's not about a hand up. It's about a hand reaching out to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is good news to the poor. You know, some people are proclaiming a gospel in the nations to the poor people there about like, yeah, we're going to come and we're going to teach you a trade. That, it's a nice thing to do. It's not the gospel. Don't confuse the gospel with other issues. Let's be clear. We got to train people. All they need to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will make sure that they have everything that they need. God becomes their provider because through faith in Jesus, they now have access to God. God becomes their father, and so they can receive freely from him everything that they need. So in the Luke version, we talked about this before, but it, it the Luke version specifically says, Jesus is talking, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. When the poor cry out to God, God hears them. And you know what? When the poor cry out to God, God hears them and God does stuff for them that the rich who are content and providing for themselves, you don't see the same kind of miracles that the poor see because you don't need the same kind of miracles that the poor see. Blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm telling you, I've seen things. I came out of a certain lifestyle and God called me into, I, I've, the Lord has walked me through a season of poverty and really not having anything. But I saw more miracles of God in walking through that season than most people see in their lifetime. And for that, I am eternally grateful. In this season of my life, I have more abundance than I had then. But you know what? I give as much as I possibly can to keep myself in a position of being dependent on God so that I'm still crying out to God, and I don't consider myself to be self-sufficient. I am God-sufficient. He is my sufficiency. So I love him. I bless him. I honor him. He continues. He says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. James, in James chapter 2, he says it this way, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So this is James is saying this in the context of the believers that he's speaking to were showing preference. They were showing partiality to believers who were rich. So a rich guy would come into their church meeting and they would say, oh, you sit in the, the head of the table. You sit in the special 
special place of honor. But a poor person would come in and they would be like, you, get in the back. And so James is like, yeah, you've got this all backwards. Don't you remember? God chose the poor. They are the ones who are the richest in faith, and they are also co-heirs of the kingdom alongside with you. James also in chapter one, this is the NLT version, said, believers who are poor, you have something to boast about, for God has honored you. So God has chosen the poor to be a part of his kingdom. He has not cast them out. He has not turned them aside. He loves them and he invites them into his kingdom. And through his sacrifice, he atoned for all the causes of their poverty. 